Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. And today is a bit of a special edition because we have some interesting information for all of you guys, specifically about whether there's going to be any kind of distressed real estate. And we're talking everything from short sales to REOs and everything in between. And yesterday, and Julie, I know you wrote in our notes to say his name, but we didn't ask his permission to use his name on the podcast. That's okay. Did you say it today on PC? Yeah. Oh, you did. <laughs> well, Premier Coaching members, you That's know Googleable though. I you know who we got this information from. But for those of you on the podcast, we're not, we're not going to use his name because he didn't give us permission to basically say. All right. Yeah, but that's okay. So Premier Coaching members, you know who our source is. The rest of you, well, you're just going to have to trust us that this guy is seen in the industry as probably the number one expert. And has been for as long as we've been in real estate um, with regards to everything distressed. He's one of these unique people that has connections inside the industry uh, on the broker agent side, but in the government as well, inside the banks, just in the servicers, wholesalers, hedge funds. So when I say this guy's got good perspective, it doesn't get much better than what his perspective is. I'd say, honestly, the only perspective that might be better than his are agents that are actually selling lots of lots of ho- in lots of houses in markets where you're seeing a lot of the changes that yeah you know, essentially nothing's really noticeably changing towards distressed. In other words, there are no markets that are obviously going to be distressed markets anytime soon. Um, but there are markets that are certainly setting the stage for a potential to have more distressed real estate in it um, in their markets in say the next you know I'd say probably twelve to twenty four months. And yes, Las Vegas, I'm talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get to that, I remind all of you, it's not uh, too late for you to download your real estate treasure map. All you have to do is text twenty twenty one to eight five five six eight five ten forty five. Text 2021 to 855-685-1045. All right. Now, Jules, we did have two people that said you sound faint on this. And it only because you're not right. Exactly. No worries. Okay. So what we're we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving you guys some specific bullet points. And again, this is not a normal real estate coaching radio podcast because we're just taking this information in its rawest form. We're not going to be doing a lot of vamping on these particular uh, questions that we asked him and things that we learned. So just get ready to take um, notes. I'll conclude for you, Julie and I will conclude for you along the way what you're supposed to be taking away so that you can actually have this as useful information for you. Uh, But in the interim, um, let's go ahead and get started. Julie, uh, point number one with regards to the overall update on distressed property. Okay, yes. And so it is true that 22 million jobs have been lost, uh, mostly due to the pandemic. Uh, However, stuff for you to understand, the peak of the forbearance, what is a forbearance? It is when the lender is allowing you to skip mortgage payments without harming your credit. There are specific rules. You have to sign it. You know, you're not just saying, you can't just voluntarily stop paying. You have to have a formal agreement. But the peak of those forbearance requests was in March of 2020, when 8% of mortgages were in forbearance. Okay, so we are currently averaging more coming out of forbearance than going in. There was a little change to that this week. The numbers were kind of stagnant, but overall, there's more people coming out of forbearance than going in. And in fact, 87%, darn close to 90% of forbearances 
are ending successfully, meaning the person is able to resume their mortgage payments and not be distressed. 400,000 new um, distressed uh, situations are expected to default, plus another 250,000 already in the system. Now, that sounds like a lot. Altogether, well, it's 650,000 until you put it in perspective. Let's do drill down on that. So for, so currently, there's 250,000 people that are, a lot of them are lingering, believe it or not, from the last housing crash that are in default, that are essentially, you know, tracking to become REOs. Uh, but a lot of them are just normal, you know, in, in any market, any market condition, there's people that are going to essentially um, lose their houses through yep. foreclosure. It's just part of the process. So evidently nationwide, uh, according to Mr. X, shall we call him that? Sure. There are 250,000 people that are in that situation. Now, in addition to that is what Julie was saying. 400,000 new folks are supposed to be, or household owners, you know, homeowners are supposed to be entering in to the default process. And a lot of them are the ones that are basically going to be coming off forbearance and not be able to make their house payments because of, you know, they're, uh, frankly, their jobs don't exist anymore in a lot of cases. And it, it's important to know that even though it does feel, especially in housing, like a bit of a housing boom, the reality of it, of it is, is if there were no government intervention, and this is a little bit of commentary, but it is important you guys understand this. If there were no government intervention, it would certainly not feel like it does now. And furthermore, and Mr. X agreed with us on this point, there is no indication whatsoever that the government intervention will stop like ever. (laughs) So there'll always be, I mean, for the foreseeable future, next three to five years, there's going to be low interest rates. There will not be any sort of big surge of REOs. It just won't happen because the government has already made it incredibly clear that they won't let it happen. And if you think about most mortgages are backed somehow by the government, and if they're not, the servicers that basically maybe the banks that actually are servicing those loans for themselves or for private investors, they're going to be encouraged not to uh, do foreclosures um, as well. And there'll be lots of interesting little workout programs that we're going to touch on here in a second. So that answers the next question. Will there be an REO surge? Not likely anytime soon. And, and you asked that directly. That was I that did. was not you know speculative. That was a very specific question. With a specific answer, not likely anytime soon. No, or no. 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 <laughs> yeah, now, let exactly. me stop there just for a second because we've gotten a lot of questions on the uh, Facebook Live, the Premier Coaching, where, you know, sometimes our listeners are getting from their investor clients or even from normal buyers, well, I don't know if I should act at this time because I'm waiting for the market to correct. So now you have facts and figures showing that, yes, there will be some, and you know, you can have the hottest market ever. There's always going to be random foreclosures out there. But is there going to be a surge? No, no time soon. There's not going to be a big wave of depreciation in real estate like no. there was back in 07 and 08. You know, I'll say that when the COVID hit, there was a little wave of depreciation that was happening in really all asset classes as people were sort of turtling up and not knowing which direction mm-hmm. to go. But it did not last. It was essentially yeah. the buying, uh, as soon as the Fed announced that they were going to start printing gazillions of trillions of dollars, which I think a trillion is more than a gazillion. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of zeros there. Yeah, but essentially all asset classes, it's because we're entering into this new phase in this economic cycle called inflation. And again, we talk about that a lot on the podcast. But for the sake of today's uh, podcast, here's your takeaway. Real estate in particular is going to continue to increase in price. It's not following a normal seven-year boom and bust cycle. This is something uh, extraordinary as an out of the ordinary that we're experiencing now. And it's going to last at least for the next three to five years, which should be good news for those of you who are serious about helping people making money in real estate. Mrs. Harris, uh, what about short sales? Okay. Some short sales or a short sale-like solution will arise, but not in big waves and no time soon. 
most particularly FHA borrowers are very are the ones that are behind. Statistically, they're the biggest percentage that are behind. They're the most likely to go into default, but they're also the most likely to get government intervention. Um, and we talked to Mr. X about the fact that a lot of people who are part of that 22 million jobs lost were actually renters, okay? So they're, you know, going to experience some pain and possibly the investors that own those properties. It's good that you actually remember that because I didn't yeah. take notes on that point mm-hmm. when, he, when he was talking. But that is a valid yeah. – that's going to be something fascinating. Yeah. But we didn't talk about commercial real estate either. The mm-hmm. books that I've been reading, one in particular by Jim Rickards over last weekend, he said specifically the greatest pain in real estate is going to be on the commercial, commercial side. for sure. Especially as this, there's a continued trend away from, you know, bricks and mortar everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you guys are still caught in a bricks and mortar, you know, mental paradigm about real estate brokerages, you really need to take a hard look at what eXp Realty is doing. They've proven that uh, consumers and you agents don't really need bricks and mortar locations. And so you can pretty much assume that as you know, the whole industry is going to gravitate that direction over time as their leases expire, as their business models are able to adapt and change. But in the interim, the smartest move you can make is aligning with the company that's essentially already there where the whole market's going to rush to be over the next 10 years. And that's eXp Realty. And yes, Julie and I are worth eXp Realty. And yes, we'd love to sponsor you at eXp Realty. And yes, you can text me directly if you're ready to join eXp Realty or have more questions at 512-758-0206. Also, regarding those investors, in 2019, there were 250,000 fix and flips. That's an interesting stat. 10 to 12% of all transactions are investor purchases, and that amounts to 13 to 15 billion in volume yearly. So, you know, even though there's a lot of people that are having to sell, there are also a lot of investors wanting to buy. And this is one of the reasons that we're not expecting a big wave of short sales or foreclosures, right? Because the demand is there. We talked about this with Mr. X, if you uh, recall. He said one of the main differences is when the housing crash happened before, the demand had disappeared because people were seeing prices falling and inventory rising. You remember there were foreclosure tours. People would put people, there's so much inventory that you get on a bus to go around to see it all. He did did say that. He said basically the reason that the market kept on falling last time, well, one of the many reasons was – um, aside from the, you know, people's expectation the prices were going to keep falling right. is because the lenders weren't lending mm-hmm. and there was too much inventory for sale. Yeah. Interest and, rates were higher than too. Right. And real estate, right. And real estate prices were caught in a, a virtual death spiral. The exact, nothing like that is happening now. Matter of fact, the exact opposite is happening yeah. now. And there's no real indications, not even early indications that this is actually going to change. And to the point that Rick, uh, that Mr. X was making and Julie's making, the reality of it is, is even if when there is distressed real estate that comes for sale, for example, these folks that are coming off um, forbearance. forbearance, thank you, and uh, you know can't replace the income necessary to basically make the payment, those folks are going to have equity in their properties and they're going to show up even though they're you know essentially unemployed or underemployed, they're going to show up um, as a normal seller. They're not going to show up as a distressed seller. So we're teaching you how to go after the folks that are in those situations uh, in our premier coaching program. But those are the very definitions of a perfect seller. They have equity. They're motivated to sell. They're not going to fight with you about price. And did I mention they're motivated to sell, right? right. Because they're going to be facing down the um, 
possibility that the bank is going to put them into foreclosure. Because once the forbearance is, they're not going to be extended forever. At some point, the servicers are going to say, and remember, a servicer is a bank, right? And the servicer service the loans mostly on behalf of the government. That's what a servicer is. So servicer, bank, same thing. So once the servicers essentially say your time has run out on your forbearances, you know, you don't, it, it, what are you going to do? It, then the person's going to have to make a choice. And the banks, and, and this is what's going to happen, and I think Mr. X was um, inferring this as well, the banks will then start referring those sellers, in many cases, to local agents who then will help them get the houses sold in a quick and efficient way. So the seller then has the opportunity to walk away with uh, whatever equity is left in their house. Now, the and, and we're teaching you guys this in our coaching program, but you're going to start stumbling across, depending on your market, more and more folks that are in this situation and your price range too. And you're going to have to know how to say, explain to them the importance of uh, selling now versus later. Because if they decide to sit in the house and wait it out, wait the whole process out, they're going to A, ruin their credit as the bank files uh, foreclosure, uh, you know, miss payments, the whole thing will make it so they might not even be able to lease something. Yep. But the other thing is their equity is going to dissipate, disappear, you know, evaporate as essentially more people, you know, inevitably make the same decision to, you know, uh, not take action and sell the house. And so the sellers that you're speaking with, your centers of influence, your past client types, they might then be forced to sell into a down market, which might happen who knows when. So it's important that you explain or know how to explain, and we're teaching you to do that in our coaching program, uh, the importance of taking urgency and being urgent and so you can beat the market before it starts to slide down. Yes, and you notice, because I think you watched my Facebook Live today. I did. Um, I put a more emphasis than normal on your ability to do a seller's net sheet mm-hmm. because you need to actually show them if you sell today, you know, I know it's going to be inconvenient to move and, you know, the, the, some people have the belief you can stay in your house for a real long time before you get foreclosed on. But remember that the banks like to have equity, and that may not be true in that situation. If you do a net sheet and you show them, hey, you sell today, you're going to walk away with, I mean, in some cases, it's, a, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, it, it's, right? an, it's enough that they might they might actually be able to, since they didn't miss any payments, didn't screw up their credit, yeah. they're actually going to be able to sell the house, have equity, and buy something else that they can actually afford. Exactly. And right. it, for some of you, that means... You know, I mean, think of the people moving from California to Nashville, right? What you can buy in Nashville, even though Nashville's had a big run up like everybody say, else, Nashville's but it expensive. still doesn't even close to compare to, you know, you, you compare like a $650,000 house in California, you might not even have air conditioning. You move to Nashville, you know, and you spend three fifty dollars in cash, you're probably going to be pretty happy. But this is a very interesting phenomenon, I think, because before when prices were falling and people ran out of equity, where was the motivation to move? Right. Okay. Well, now the banks, they have motivation. The servicers and the government created, and many of you, 99% of you weren't in the business back in the crash, but the banks were actually writing checks to these sellers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, essentially these owners that weren't really, you know, the... the uh, Defaulted owners. Exactly. And they're writing checks and giving them a Freddie Mac called a graceful exit out of the house. And depending on the price of the house, those checks were pretty big, giving them a, essentially money, moving money and all Cash the rest of it. Yep, all that. That was a very big surge and, you know, didn't last long. But will there be something like that happens this go around? Who knows? But the importance is, is you got to be very aware that your ability to help sellers in different situations. And you got to think also, this creates amazing opportunity for you to double in your listings, to mm-hmm. find, un, uh, you know, unlisted property 
that's going to be um, perfect for your buyers. Look for notices of defaults as those start creeping up in different markets. Again, not for the sake of the podcast because we don't have time, but we do teach all this to you guys in our coaching program. And this is the importance of you understanding that there always are going to be people that need to buy or sell real estate. And we focus primarily on those of uh, the sellers, right? And you guys need to learn how to be listing agents. But the biggest opportunities in a transitioning market, as this is a slow to transition market, the biggest opportunities are always on the seller side because they're essentially the last ones to know how to, you know, essentially transact. They're the, as they as their situations change, economic, you know, financially, basically, they are probably going to be stuck with agents that don't know how to help them through the various um, issues that creep up when you're for, you know forbearance runs out or you're not uh, looking at the ability to maybe like there's so many different scenarios guys my mind is just filling with different things you're going to need to learn but the cool thing about this is if you start learning them before your competition does you really do have an unfair advantage yes and so do your your past clients your people in your center of influence by understanding this early enough they can still walk away with some equity and you know you mentioned there's multiple opportunities here and we're, again, we're talking about helping people who have equity but can't make their mortgage payment or get caught up. Okay, so here's the deal. Think about this fact. According to NAR, 35 to 45% of you guys who are licensed already own at least one rental property. How hard is it to find good rentals these days? You might be able to help a seller out by buying it yourself, okay? 90% of investors are mom and pop investors who own between one and 10 rentals. So you can help your past clients. Maybe you can pick up some uh, rentals yourself. You know, there's lots of opportunity here, but only when you're actually communicating and you're finding those people. I guarantee you every single person listening who has any amount of past clients or any, you know, friends and family, there's somebody in that list. There's somebody in your contacts of your phone right now who has equity but can't make their mortgage payment. So we're working with Mr. X and his company to produce a designation. Uh, we might not take the form of a designation, but you'll, it's an advanced level of education. And uh, they approached us about helping them co-develop this. And the gist of it's going to be is not only are we going to teach you how to have these conversations, we're going to teach you how to seek out the sellers that are in these situations. And you're not going to have, in many cases, any competition because other agents aren't going to know what you know with regards to basically uh, solving a problem that many of these sellers don't even realize they have yet. So this is an interesting opportunity in the marketplace right now. I remember when Julie and I, we were the first national coaching company to start teaching agents how to do short sales. And this was way back in like 07, right? And I remember the first webinar we did, it was 600 people or 800 yeah, people the were on the webinar. And, the, and I was, uh, Julie and I were presenting and the whole thing, we had experts on, you know, it was really, we, I think we did a great job trying to educate people on short sales. But get this, the number one question when we finally went to look at the questions in the webinar is all these agents were asking, what is a short sale? And it was asked like hundreds of times. We weren't looking at the questions because yeah. we were just presenting and trying to disseminate the information as efficiently as we could. And I thought to myself, wow, how amazing that is that, that so many agents don't know what a short sale is, don't mm -hmm. know what distressed real estate is, don't know what a notice default is, yeah. don't know what all these, you know, different a probate is. Don't yeah, but know. you know, we're 14 years later and we can say that again because there's a lot of agents that don't. Oh, I that, know. That really can't accurately tell you the definition of a short sale. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, those are the things that they're going to have to know how mm -hmm. to do. Because when you walk into a seller's house, the sellers are all, most of them still are going to be in situations where they have plenty of equity and they're going to be able to sell the house. But as the market starts to transition, or here's what's really interesting, in your market, there'll be different, the markets are not all the same. There'll be certain streets where essentially they're harder to sell. There'll be certain communities that maybe were all 
essentially dependent on a particular industry that's not um, as viable as it was before. Uh, people always talk about restaurants and whatnot, but have you ever thought about all the other upstream and downstream businesses that are affected by COVID that are essentially just holding on to the government lifeline? And as soon as that runs out, they're going to run out. And what's going to happen to all the employees there? They're going to be let go. And what's going to happen to the communities that were built up in many cases uh, to uh, provide homes for those employees to live next to these industrial areas and you know white collar areas? Well, they're going to be the houses are going to have to be sold, and those houses are then going to have a they're going to be sold into a what will feel then like maybe a, a buyer's market because there'll be so many that come for sale. Now you can have two things can be true at once. You can have a crazy hot seller's market, and at the same time maybe forty five minutes from that crazy hot seller's market, you can have an absolutely dead flat, you know, buyer's market. And so in those particular situations, are you really only going to know how to help the easy sellers to help the ones that have tons of equity? You've got to know how to help every seller in every situation so that when you walk into their uh, the uh, little visual that we give for all of you is you're a doctor, right? And you're walking, you're a mobile doctor, an old school, old fashioned doctor, and you're walking into someone's house and you need to be able to solve multitudes of problems, not just basically, you know, stitches. You need to know how to solve for all kinds of issues and have all kinds of different mm-hmm. remedies and solutions to all kinds of different problems you might face when you walk past that threshold. But that's not the case with most real estate agents. Most real estate agents, you guys have no real deep skill set on how to solve anything other than how to make a TikTok video. And yes, I'm trying to be a bit of a smart ass. <laughs> or how but, to choose a contract. Right. You guys get the idea, right? The skill set that was necessary in a seller's market is nothing like the skill sets necessary in a, a transitioning market, let alone a buyer's market. And like I said, and I want to make this very clear, in no way are we predicting there's going to be some precipitous drop in home prices. In no way are we expecting there to be anything other than continued inflation or appreciation in real estate. But we are expecting that the agents who are really smart and business-minded are going to get ahead of the next curve, even if it happens slowly. It's a slow meandering curve. Get ready for it and get educated for it because you're going to walk tomorrow. You watch. You're going to get a call from somebody, mm-hmm. your old best friend from high school, and they're going to tell you they lost their job. They're going to tell you that they haven't made a payment. Their forbearance runs out in 30 days. You're going to listen to today's podcast and you're going to at least have some direction on what you're supposed to be doing. Or you're going to get a call six months from now and that same person's going to say they listed and sold with somebody else because you didn't necessarily have the skill set. Or even worse, they didn't do anything and they lost the house to foreclosure and now they're really down in the dumps because they'd have no money, no credit, no job, Should nothing. Should have acted sooner. Right, exactly. Because you weren't there to help them solve the problem because you weren't willing to learn what it took to help solve people with a multitude of problems. You know, again, it's malpractice not to know how to solve a whole variety of people's problems. So this is what's coming. It's inevitable. It's going to be a slow, meandering, you know, change of direction. Mm -hmm. But in every market, you're going to see, again, just to make this point really clear. I remember very clearly when Julie and I sold real estate and we sold real estate. It was always pretty much in every market we sold. It was always essentially a neutral market or it was a buyer's market. It was never a seller's market. We maybe had in our whole career of selling thousands of homes, we maybe had, I think, probably less than 20 times where it was pick a contract. Right? Yeah, I, and I can name like maybe six or 10 streets that were hot for three, two, one, four, because, <laughs> right. you know, the type of house and neighborhood. But, but nowhere else. But no, no, really nowhere else. I mean, I, I remember when things were even a balanced market, which was fairly comfortable. You know, that's like 90 days on the market. One contract sells for a little bit less from list, 
not multiple contracts is okay. Stuff still sold. But I, I don't know if you remember, we went on appointments sometimes. I remember Galloway, Ohio was one of these places. Yeah. Um, where what all that all that had to happen to get people distressed was there was a big swath of new construction that had gotten to be three to five years old and all their mortgages adjusted. But Galloway also, if I remember correctly, a lot of the people that lived in Galloway, I might be wrong, but worked at Rickenbacker. And Rickenbacker was a military air base, but they also leased out some of the mm-hmm. you know capacity to private industry. And when those, you know, the military started to uh, need, essentially, I think they closed the Air Force Base. I think so, or downsized massively. Right. And some of the industry decided it didn't need that much space anymore. Those people in those communities were essentially washed out. Reynoldsburg was like that. There were a lot of areas. And there was no equity to refinance out of. And and these are just cycles, right? Things come back. I mean, but these cycles can last 20 or 30 years. Yeah. So So here's the difference, though. You know, in the the housing crash that all these the the ones that didn't live through it live in massive fear of you know the unknown, and the ones that did experience it live in fear of it happening again. Right. But very different than those times. You know, back then, men a lot of our coaching clients were doing like fifty, sixty percent of their business was short sale or REO, right? So now, why are we bringing you this extra tool? Because during a hot seller's market and while all these forbearances were around, you guys really didn't get calls like that very much. It was more like, how much can I cash out of my house? But now that things are changing because forbearances are running out and because jobs are disappearing, you know, there's entire you know buildings full of people that the building's going to be sold. The business doesn't exist anymore. They're not getting reemployed. So now maybe one in 10 of your deals will be like this. Maybe it'll be two in 10. We're here to protect your interests so that you can, instead of say, oh no, you know, you can, you can live in your house forever. They're not going to take it anytime soon, whatever. Or I don't do that. Instead, you're going to say, yes, it'd be my pleasure to help you with that. I have the exact tools necessary so that you can get out, cash out some of your equity and have some options. And I think it's very interesting because we didn't have this in the, the other thing that we have now that we didn't have in the previous housing issues was this phenomenon of um, behind, okay, defaulted, but not upside down. Right. Don't you think that's a weird combination? You're talking about the, oh, yeah, yeah. Default, well, they haven't technically defaulted, right? Or about to. Or about to. But but here's what's really interesting, Mm -hmm. to your point. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this with Mr. X yesterday. Mm -hmm. You have people now that haven't made a payment in a lot of cases since last March. March, yeah. Right? And now we're going on a year. Uh Will those forbearances run out? They might. Will the government continue with them? I don't know. But you have people effectively that have been living their houses for yep. free. And you asked the question of Mr. X whether that the you know people are going to start getting wise to the fact they can stay in their house and not have to make a payment. Their credit is not adversely affected. Uh, why wouldn't more people do this? And he actually said that that was a concern of the legislatures, mm-hmm. you know, the government of mm-hmm. people that were putting these things in place. But he said they've seen no indication that that's actually yeah. a trend. Yeah, I was encouraged by that. And, and that's the at the top of the podcast, those stats that we threw out that – there are more people coming out of forbearance and going into it right, right now. And that 87% of the time, I was surprised that it was that high, to right. be honest with you. But it, they could change. Yeah. So right now, 87% of them are coming out of forbearance. They're getting, you know, maybe they're not paying off the amount that they put in forbearance, but they're at least getting back to making their mortgage payments. So to your point... Well, why did you just say that? Because very rarely does a forbearance make you pay off the payments. Well, the lenders try to. Yeah, but it's not. But that's specifically against the uh, the act that was put in place that prevented them from doing it. They just tack they just tack the mispayments on. Well, I, I was trying to clarify: getting out of forbearance does not equal having to pay it all back all of a sudden. All they want you to do really is resume, and the the act actually says. Um, that your payment will resume at its previous 
payment amount. They're not right. messing with that. They're not making you refinance. They're not doing anything like that. They're not throwing you into a loan mod. You're just resuming your payments. That's it. And 87% of the time, people have been able to do that. So I think that's, you know, that's good news, at least for now. That's I'll how we're tracking. I've, I've seen this actually with some of our coaching clients. I've read this on our private Facebook page. They were in forbearance. The forbearance basically came to an end. The bank asked them if they wanted to continue the forbearance mm-hmm. or asked them if they wanted to refinance at the now lower rate. That's pretty awesome. Right. That, I mean, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. This is completely different back in 07 Oh my gosh, is it ever different? <laughs> no. The banks were like, pay or get out. Yeah. We'll be at your door. Right. And the banks yeah. were, in a lot of cases, rushing to foreclose because there was still equity. Yeah. So if they foreclosed, they'd actually make money on the transaction. Anyway, this, these are all, you know, walking down a... Uh, well, so um, these times do not equal those times. No, so, and I exactly. Don't, there's so, I, I sense there's so much agent fear and trepidation about that. It's totally different circumstances. Yeah, but there's, there's no sh- underlying stuff. There should it. be, though. There should be. If you're, your fear, if you're feeling fear of it happening again, it's probably because you're not prepared for right. harder times, right? That's the reason you're fearful, because you don't have enough steaks in the freezer. Yeah, and harder times to them is a completely different ometer, right? Right. Harder times to them. I mean, they're shocked if something doesn't sell in two weeks. Right. It's like, oh my gosh, what's happening to the market? <laughs> okay, so remember that you run through cycles. What usually happens first is you stop getting multiple offers. Then you stop getting a lot of appreciation. That doesn't mean things aren't selling, but that is an indication that that salesometer is moving towards the middle, where it's balanced. And then maybe in some markets, we'll go towards a buyer side. We did that um, presentation, I forget for what, um, brokerage or association two years ago. Uh-huh. Remember that? The cycles I of the think market? we did both Hawaii and Manhattan. For yeah, that. we should dust that yeah. off um, because that was good content. Mm-hmm. I told, You just reminded me of that. The stages. Uh, right, changed. the stages. Yeah. But but here's the thing that's also interesting. Mm-hmm. There was a report that came, off th- uh, came out three days ago that said there's a historical low of inventory for sale right now. Mm-hmm. So there is absolutely no indication that there's going to be yeah. any kind of uh, precipitous uh, you know, devaluation of home prices, or the, there is no bust, guys. So those of you who are sitting on dry powder, hoping that somehow mm-hmm. miraculously you're going to be able to pick things up at uh, wholesale prices, it, there's just no reason no. to believe it's going to happen. Nope. Uh, so th- that cycle is the government won't let it happen again, and market forces won't let it happen again. But in the interim, you still need to learn how to have different skill sets so you can help different people in different problems. And we didn't even talk about another huge advantage and opportunity. And I need to go on to my next Zoom, but mm-hmm. that's simply with the fact that you could be. Uh, Buyers, right? So if you knew of homes that were coming for sale because there are situations like we just described, wouldn't that be an awesome opportunity for you to really front run possible uh, future listing inventory for the sake of putting your buyers into homes? Oh, yeah. Guys, education, you know, knowledge is, you know this, right? Education, knowledge is power. Um, and the knowledge in the education, frankly, that you needed during a crazy seller's market is not the same that you need in a transitioning market. And even if you see no indication in your market that this is happening, look overall in your overall market. Look in your overall MLS and start looking for those little cracks that start to happen. Um, you know, it's the whole seism- uh, seismologist analogy, the little cracks that happen, little murmurs and little movements in the earth before uh, an earthquake, right? And a seismologist will know based on the the uh, intensity of the cracks and then the, inten- you know, the deepness yeah. of the yeah. all that stuff, right? They're going to be able to accurately predict more or less how big the big one's going to be, the earthquake that's coming. Well, right now we gave you all the early indications. We promise you that we'll mm-hmm. always do that. We always have done that for... Um, the real estate industry, 
And we're just seeing tiny, tiny, tiny little cracks, nothing big, uh, nothing for you to, you know, worry, overly worry, but do do be prepared mentally and emotionally. So then you're not caught by surprise uh, financially. There's a good way to end the show today. That's right. So if you guys do work, if you need to get a hold of us for anything, text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. You have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.